The love of money is one of those topics that everyone knows must be discussed, and everyone knows is evil, but everyone also deals with different degrees at different times. Even if we're able to keep the love of money from controlling our hearts, we're all tempted to put our trust in what money provides. Security, safety, provision, a sense of status and worth, all of these are are what we tell ourselves money can provide. For most people, it's not so much the stuff that we accumulate, although it can be that. See, it's what we own that says to others what we are, who we are, and how great we are. Money is necessary for us to live. We need it to pay for our homes, our food, our clothes, transportation. My goodness, we've got four kids, and it's like every time I go to the grocery store, I walk out of there with, and I'm, I'm just going for a quick trip. It's over 100 bucks every single time. Yesterday I went, I got, I got just a few things, and I walked out paying over $100. And I'm thinking, how are we going to feed these kids as, we, as they get older? It's crazy. But you need money. It's necessity of life. But see, the problem with money is when it grips our heart, either in fear of losing it or in its pursuit to get more. Life is not about money, and Jesus is going to make that clear. Life is not about gaining toys and status. I remember the first time I heard that, uh, that old cliche, he who dies with the most toys wins. I was about in fourth grade and I heard that. Uh, and, and I remember asking my teacher, well, what's the point? The man still dies. And she didn't know what to say. I remember thinking on just, I think it was in fourth grade, just a young, young child realizing, yeah, it's fun to have all of those things. But what then, Right? So let's find out what Jesus teaches about money as he tackles the lust of the flesh in regard to the desire for money. This is one of the most powerful lusts that men deal with. It's not new. Listen, the the Old Testament, even before there was currency, as far as, as dollar bills and coins, there was currency in animals and property. The Mosaic Law goes into great detail on how uh, restoration is to take place if someone steals someone else's property. We We have to recognize our hearts are prone, prone to lust after that which the world offers. And we have to be sure that we are focused on Christ. So let's let us see how Jesus deals with this. Issue, and we first of all see the problem in verses 13 and 14. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said, Man, who made me a judge and arbiter, arbitrator over you? So you see the problem. We're back in the crowd. Remember in verse 1, a a huge crowd is gathering, so much so that they're crowding in and they're trampling over each other. This is a large crowd. And here comes one man, he raises his voice above the rest, and he calls out to teacher, to Jesus as a teacher. He calls him teacher. 
I thought it was rather odd and strange that he would ask, he called Jesus as a teacher in that moment. Why call Jesus the teacher? And certainly that is one of his common names, but I think he was hoping Jesus would teach his brother a lesson. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell. That's a command. You tell my brother to give me part of that inheritance. He goes to Jesus and gives Jesus a command to therefore go and give a command to his brother to do what he wants. That's arrogance. That's boldness. The word inheritance, sorry, the word divide means to assign responsibility. Who gets what? And an inheritance for each family, there was, that was a, a very important part of life. It was a, a great gift. To have the inheritance was a true blessing. Now, I will say this. As a counselor, and you will find that as you, if you are a counselor, you find yourself in these kind of positions often. Far more often than you want to find yourself in. My advice is if you find yourself in this situation, proceed very carefully. Get as much information as possible because you do not know all the details. For instance, perhaps this man had already received his share of the inheritance and spent it all and now is trying to get more from his brother. Or perhaps he's a wayward child and was left out of the will altogether. We should be wise and ask plenty of questions to get to the heart of the matter. But most importantly... Don't try to settle a matter yourself where you're not the highest authority. Send them where they must go. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus does not comply with this person. He he responds, he says, Man, who made me your judge? That word made means to give authority. Now let's recognize something. Who's speaking? We have Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He has all authority given to him by his Father, right? But at the same time, he recognizes that there's no need for him to get involved. There's a court. There's a court system that's working just fine. And this man does not need to come to Jesus to get his way. He simply needs to go to the courts to accomplish his task. Now, consider this. What if Jesus gave in and did what the man had said, and he went to the other brother, and he says, hey, you need to do what your brother says. What guarantee is there that the other brother would actually comply? And now he's in the middle of a mess. See, what this man wanted wasn't just part of the inheritance. He wanted judgment in his favor. Because his heart coveted what his brother had. And so Jesus sent him back to the courts to get it done properly. See, Moses didn't do that in Exodus chapter 2. And you just know how that worked out for him. He, he saw a, a slave being beaten by the, the uh, Egyptian slave master and he killed the man and buried his body. A couple days later, he sees two Hebrews going at it and he comes in and he says, Hey, what are you guys doing? You should stop this. And one man says, What, well, are you going to kill me as you killed the slave master? Why should I listen to you? Who made you my authority? We know that the judge is one who takes care of the court matters. An arbitrator is one who uh, divides based upon the court's decision. 
So you'd have the judge who would give the ruling, and an arbitrator would be one who would then go, go forth and carry out the ruling. So rather than settle the matter, Jesus sent the man to the one place where the matter could, matter could be settled properly. See, what's truly at the heart of the matter of this man, especially here, is greed. It is likely this man has already gone to the courts with his brother. The courts have given their ruling, and he hasn't liked it. And so what is he doing? Hey, there's this Jesus fellow. He helps people out. Maybe he'll take up my offense. Jesus does not play that game. See, Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. How often are we the man in this text where the desire of our heart causes us to pursue what we want? It may not be money. It doesn't have to be money. But what about a marriage when your spouse doesn't do what you want? Do you hold them captive? Silent treatment? Do you go to others to get your way? Do you spray your problems all over Facebook for the world to see? To try to guilt and to cajole and to manipulate? See, recognize that while your desire may not be money, you are coveting something. You're not, you do not have what you want. And you are still in violation of the principle of this text. So we've seen the problem. Now look at the principle that Jesus gives in verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and be, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Let me paraphrase. Life is not about money. It's so much more than money. This man has accused his brother publicly, and so Jesus accuses this man publicly in return. He deals with the issue. The word take heed means you take responsibility. I think that was directed towards the man. Take responsibility, and you go to the courts, or you listen to what the courts have already said. The word beware means to obey orders or commandments continually. We've been given orders from our king. We are to obey them. They are here in the Word of God. And this is one of them. Do not covet. Covetous is a strong word. And it speaks of a strong desire for greed and more and more and more. It is a tenth commandment. God God knows our hearts. He knows that we will always desire more. That we will always desire something besides Him. That is why the first commandment is, You shall love the Lord your God and no other God before me. Right? That's the first commandment. And the last commandment is, Don't go out trying to find other stuff to fulfill your heart. God Himself is enough. 1 Timothy 6.9 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. It's a few verses after that that Paul says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. See, do not think that what is taking place today is not about money. I saw a headline the other day, and I I didn't read the whole article. I didn't have to. I knew what they were going to say. 
there are certain places in the world where, where COVID cases are starting to drop. The next part of the headline is, but experts say the pandemic is far from over. Well, of course it is. They're making a killing off of this thing. People are getting rich. And if they can get rich, they'll keep it going as long as they can. Don't think it's not about money. Don't think that everything that happens in politics in Washington isn't about greased palms. It's all about money. Because man's heart craves money. Let the world do what the world does. May that accusation never fall against us. And when it does, so that the temptation comes, kill it dead. May we be satisfied with God alone. We should heed the words of Hebrews 13.5. Now, we, we tend to focus on the last part of that verse, that God will never leave us or forsake us. But listen to the first part. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For I am with you, says the Lord. I will never leave you or forsake you. So therefore, understand the context of that verse. He will never leave us or forsake us. We have everything we need. We should not be coveting. We should be content with what we have and where he has, where he has us. So as God's children, we should be the most satisfied people in the world. Now, I, I will say, we, we have to come to a point where we have this wrestling with a discontented content. What I mean by that is, we cannot be content with where we are spiritually. We must always be growing, and yet at the same time, be content with who we are in Christ. He will always be growing us. We cannot be content with our sin and where we fail. But we must always be content with who we are in Christ. Jesus gives that clear principle. Your life does not consist in the abundance of things that you possess. Life is more about stuff. It's not about money. It's not about what you possess. It's not about showing off all of your toys. I remember as a kid, uh, one, of, one of my least favorite days was show and tell. Remember show and tell? I hated show and tell. I'm going to bring stuff in and let you look at it. I, don't want you, I mean, if you wanted to see it, come to my house, hang out. But there were some people who loved show and tell. Look what I have. Look what I get. Look what this is. And it was just sort of like, Okay. People do that now, don't they? Social media is great for that. Ooh, looky here. Shiny. Expensive. And yet that is not what life is about. The man with the most toys still dies. And then who gets his toys? People who didn't work for it. See, abundance is actually a problem. Prosperity is a problem. It complicates matters. People in America are so wealthy and prosperous, they know nothing of true difficulty. And so when true difficulty comes, and by the way, it's right around the corner, they will not know how to respond. And they will look around, and they will shake their head, and they will raise their arm. But what happened? Well, we acted the fool. We brought it upon ourselves. And now we will know true difficulty. It's really a sad state of affairs. The beauty of this principle is we can still live a, live a good life even if we are impoverished. This is the beauty of God's Word. You can have little and recognize your life can be full and abundant in Christ. Prosperity is nice, but it does come with a cost. 
I would rather have Jesus than those riches. Like the song, I'd rather have Jesus than riches or fame. And we cling to Jesus. Even if the constitutional rights are ripped away, he's still enough. Life is about Jesus, it's not about us. And life is not about money. He offers far, far more than money can ever offer. Money will one day run out. They can print all the money in the world, and guess what? It will run out at some point. Christ is enough, and He is eternal. He will never end. He will never cease, and He will continue to give us His good gifts all through eternity. So we've seen the problem and the principle. Let's look at the parable that Jesus gives to the people who are hearing this lesson. Verses 16 through 20. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded fruitfully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Jesus is giving this parable to make a point. A story can really clarify the principle. It helps us to see the points that Jesus is making. This rich man has ground that's yielded plentifully. It means it's a, a produce of an abundance of good fruit. The man's already rich. And now he becomes even more rich. And this man is all about himself. The way he thinks, the way he talks, the way he acts. He's thinking to himself. He plans and he moves and he gives no thought to God, who, by the way, brought the produce his way. See, we can put seeds in the ground, but it is not us who causes those seeds to grow. You can water, you can feed, you can do whatever you want. But it is God who brings the increase. This man who has barns that are already full has this increase. It could be considered a good problem, but it actually becomes a disaster to his soul. The words no room is actually a question in the Greek which simply means where? There's no room. Where am I going to put all of this? Where will I keep it all? So he decides in verse 18 to pull down his already full barns and to build bigger ones. He is determined to expand and make himself great among the people. Now here's here's the thought. His barns are full. He's going to pull those down to build bigger ones. The question is, where is he going to put all that stuff? What's he going to do with it all? It's really an irrational act. But that's what sin does. It causes us to act foolishly. So he begins to make plans to tear down those barns. He decides he will make greater barns. That word greater means so large others would be surprised at their size. They'd Wow, look at what John has. Look at what must be good over there. Ecclesiastes 5.10 warns us, 
He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. Take warning. Take heed to that warning. No matter how much you have, if money is what you seek, you will never have enough. The lust of the flesh regarding money is a bottomless pit that will never be filled. May we be, not, may we be wise to know this truth. I remember hearing the story of this CEO who ran this massive company. He had everything he could ever want, except his marriage was falling apart. And so what, what did he do? He decided, oh, I'll lavish my wife with gifts. She never wore the necklaces or the bracelets, the earrings, the dresses. She didn't enjoy the dinners. He decided to take her away for a week's time. And she told him, I don't want your stuff. I want you. Changed the way he thought about life. But the reality is we get so focused on bigger and greater and impressing everybody else, we can lose what's truly important to us. This man has no appreciation for God or His blessing. And again, such is sin. He thinks he's in control of it all. His methods, his planning, his, his brilliance, his science, his research, that's what's resulted in the ground being plentiful, not God's blessing. And so he continues, he thinks about himself. He even says, I will say to my soul. He is speaking to himself as if he's the only one that matters. Soul, you have many goods laid up for years. He's saying, I'm all set. There's nothing else I need. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. He says, I will take, he says, take your ease That word, take your ease, it it basically means relax. Don't work so hard. Don't have to worry about it. And the words be merry simply means be happy. He's going to enjoy life. But he is going to learn a very important principle. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Tonight is Super Bowl Sunday, right? And you got a lot of people making their predictions. I think one of the most foolish notions that takes place is people gambling on the game. Because they think they, they're, they're, they're putting their hope in something that could or could not take place. I mean, sports is certainly fun and entertaining, but you know people covet money when they start gambling on sports or anything else. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know what's going to happen tonight. You know it's going to be like tomorrow morning. Don't boast about tomorrow. So beware that we do not make plans and exclude God from the equation. And it's easy to do. But you cannot guarantee yourself one more day. You can't guarantee yourself one more moment. Do not boast about tomorrow or today. See, we make plans and, and we are to be prepared. God does not expect us to run around and just throw things together last minute. Some people do that, and I don't know how they live. I don't understand. I've got to be more, more prepared than that. But we can't trust in our preparation because we don't know if we'll be here tomorrow. See, the reality is, 
if we think our plans are what's keeping our heart pumping, our lungs moving in, oxygen provided to our lungs, we think that what we're doing is creating our life and giving it meaning. We have an idol. And we're worshiping that before God. According to this man, he had it all and he was going to rejoice and enjoy the good life. Ecclesiastes 11.9 gives this advice. Rejoice, young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know this, that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Well, that'll preach in our culture. We got a lot of people who are pursuing their own ideas, who are seeking to to bring in the joys of their youth. Whether that be through sexual promiscuity, through through changing the idea of marriage and what marriage looks like, or or even what gender and, and, and gender ideology looks like, identity looks like, boy, will they not be shocked when they stand before God in judgment. But so will many Christians who pursue life and use God like a cosmic Santa Claus. He is so much more. May we not just simply seek to pursue cheer, as Ecclesiastes says, to cheer our heart. But we should recognize that God will bring judgment. Verse 20 is the shocking conclusion to this parable, and it is not what anyone would want. See, God intervenes, and He calls this man a fool. It's a strong word that shows you've done life wrong. You've lived according to the wrong principles and the wrong standards. The word fool means one who does not use their understanding in practical matters, meaning he knew better. He just chose not to live properly. He chose rather rather to trust in what he could not be saved by. This night, God says, your soul will be required of you. This man is going to die and the judgment will be immediate. That word required is rather interesting in the Greek. It simply means to ask for something and to be returned. Do you realize that your life is not your own? That God gives you life and he calls it back? He will ask for it to be returned. And he will give answer for how we live God asks this man a simple question. Now that you will be dead, who's going to get all of the things you've required? Who gets what you've worked so hard for? It's all left behind. What have you really gained? This is why Job says in Job 27.8, For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much, if God takes away his life. What do you gain? Ecclesiastes 2.18, this is Solomon recognizing the reality of his situation. He says, Then I hated all my labor which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who comes behind me. So you take nothing with you. Naked you came into this world, and naked you will leave. Psalm 49.16-17 says, Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, for when he dies he carries away nothing. See, what truly matters is that we belong to God. Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? So we've seen the problem. 
the principle and the parable. Look at the precept with me in verse 21, where Jesus gives the key to fighting covetousness. He says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not, listen carefully, rich toward God. There's your key. There's your key. We must be rich toward God. And yet the the temptation is to covet everything else. See, we can lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. That word lay up means to treasure up, to make what we have even more. But again, we can't take it with us. Someone else will get it. Matthew 16, 20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's amazing. When you have something and you've gained it and someone takes it away, you recognize how foolish and in vain it all was. See, everyone who lays up treasures on earth is not rich toward God. This is what Jesus is getting at, being rich toward God. This is the whole, this, this is the key to overcoming covetousness. Our souls are worth so much more than anything the world has to offer. And and to be rich toward God means to have a relationship with God that is more than what is considered normal. See, the people in the world, they think, oh, I I know Jesus. I don't have any problem with Jesus. We're cool. I I don't think you understand what you're saying. Do, Do you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you recognize that your sin sends you to hell apart from a rescue from God? Do you recognize that every man, woman, and child is on their way to hell apart from God's stepping in and saving you? No, no, I like Jesus. I like his teachings. He's really cool. He doesn't offend anybody. Have you read the Bible? Have you heard what he really says? But see, we buy into this false idea of Jesus. Our world is poor Towards God. We must be rich towards God. James 5.1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. The rich, those who put their trust in money, will one day weep and howl. Their money will do nothing to save them, will do nothing to protect them, nothing to keep them from judgment. See, in contrast, James says in James 2.5, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God, which He promised to those who loved Him? This is the wealth to pursue. This is being rich towards God. Money is a real temptation, but it only lasts so long. Are you rich towards God? Do you try, strive to follow after Him? Have you forsaken yourself and your pursuits and what the world has to offer? And are you following after Christ? Have you entered the narrow road of salvation? Not an easy way, the narrow road. It's hard. It's dark. But that broad road, while it seems easy to travel now, it drops you right into the pit of hell. And leads you to destruction. Jesus warns against coveting a brother's wealth. For it can lead to our destruction. Rather we should be seeking to store up riches for heaven. Which will never pass away. And be rich 
toward God. So let's discuss that concept, how we can be rich toward God. It's a great phrase, but unless we really explain it and, and work it out, it's, it's hard to attain. So let us consider the realities of being rich toward God. I've got three here I want to bring out. First of all, we must respond to the gospel message in faith. You will not be rich towards God unless you are God's child. We must see ourselves in the mirror of the Bible. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. And that word all means everybody. There's no exceptions. I was joking with someone this morning. They asked how they could become a member of the church. I said, oh, you just got to pay me a lot of money. Right? I was just teasing a little bit. But see, people think that way. If I give you enough, I can get in. If I do enough, God will think that's good. No, all have sinned, rebelled against a holy God who does not judge on a curve. We are conceived in our iniquity. From the moment we are born, we begin to seek our own, not God's. We must see ourselves in the mirror of the Bible. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Jeremiah 17.9 states, Our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick or wicked. See, one of the great delusions our world must get rid of is that people are basically good. If the world dropped that delusion, it would make a whole lot more sense out there. And they would stop scratching their head and say, how that happened? I can't believe I got lied to. People aren't good. God alone is good, the Bible tells us. See, we're all prone towards sin, and we must see us how God sees us, as fallen short of God's glory and in desperate need of deliverance. And until we recognize there's only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ alone, that God has mercifully and graciously provided through His wonderful Son, Jesus Christ, until we see that, we will look in all the wrong places. We'll pursue more money. We'll pursue more status. We'll pursue more toys. We'll pursue power. We must see salvation is in Christ alone. See, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, that we are dead in our sins. We pursue the lust of the flesh. We're under the power of the devil. We're slaves to the power of darkness and sin. We could do nothing to please God. He must come and rescue you from your sin. And he did that through Jesus Christ. And I, I believe my, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the, in the whole Bible is Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. See, our problem is sin. Our remedy is Jesus. You will not be rich, with, rich toward God until you see Jesus is the only answer. Jesus went on the cross to take our place. Now, now, now I, I, I want you to just think about this. Jesus Christ came from heaven. He left his high position in heaven, took on human flesh, perfect humanity, still God in humanity, to live with us. To teach us not only how to live, he did that, but to save us. 
He never sinned one time in his whole life, not one sinful word, not one foul step, and not one thought that was outside of his father's will. I mean, think about that. Jesus is not a good teacher. He's God. And he came and he came to to save us from our sin. So many people are poor towards God because they just, they don't think this is a big deal. Jesus came and he died on the cross in our place, taking upon himself the wrath of God for our sin. He suffered, he died, and he was buried. The Bible tells us that he went as a substitution for those who believe and a propitiation. That word propitiation means an appeasement of God's wrath. So that when you trust in Christ and you put your faith in Jesus, you will never suffer one drop of God's wrath. Not one. He took it all. But so many people want to think they can earn a fraction of a percentage of their salvation. Be careful with that. You can earn your salvation. You have to pay for it. We can't pay for it. We can't deal with the wrath of God. We must respond in faith. Because Jesus Christ died, He was buried, He rose again. You respond in faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, which is God's gift, you are saved, rescued from the peril of sin. By faith, which is trusting in Jesus Christ's work on the cross. That not of yourselves. You can't save yourself. That's why God sent Jesus. And by the way, if you could save yourself, if there was another way to heaven, God would not have sent Jesus and put him through what he did on the cross. There is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection. We must first be saved. Do you want to be rich toward God? Respond to salvation and faith and become a child of God. Secondly, for those who have done that, we must put to death the sin of covetousness. Put it to death. Pull out the sword of the Spirit and do war with sin. See, our hearts are never satisfied. We're always wanting more. This is why when when we put our desires and affections on Christ, we do well for a while, but then something over here goes, goes just a little bit off. And what do we want? We want more health. We want more money. We want a child that obeys better. We want a parent who understands more. And we're pulled in these directions. It's a, it's a covetousness that our heart has of never being satisfied. See, we tell ourselves, it's good to have Jesus, but I also need fill in the blank. How many times have you listened to that lie in your life? I've listened to that one far too often. We don't tell it to ourselves in those, those ways. It's more subtle. We find ourselves pursuing something that we, it's most likely good, but we've made it an idol. And Christ has taken the second seat. We must not only fight against a covetous heart, we must put the sin of covetousness to death with the sword of the Spirit. Paul tells us to renew our mind. We do this by seeking first the kingdom of God. And then God in His grace will add all these things unto us. In His timing, He will do that. So we pursue Christ first, 
and we pursue him to do to work in us and, and to bring out the and, and to bring out all the good. But in doing that, you know what else he does? He exposes all the evil. We must put that off. It's the dross that God talks about. We learn, as Paul learned, to be content in every circumstance. How are we doing on that one? That was a hard bit of application for my own life this week. It's been a hard, it's been a hard winter and hard fall. Here at the church, losing many loved ones. And, and just personally and, and different, different reasons. Can we really be content in every circumstance? We can. Will we be? Is Christ enough? Finally, to be rich towards God, take time to know God more and deeper through His Word. I'm amazed at how often I hear Christians say, I don't read my Bible at home. I go to church, I hear it there. I might listen to the radio here and there, but I don't open my Bible and study and read on my own. And then we want to know why our lives are, are struggling. If we are not pursuing God, if we're not finding Him in the Word, if we're not trying and striving to know Him deeper and on a, more, and on a greater level, we're going to struggle and our hearts are going to be prone to grab onto something else because it will be what we, it'll be that, to have that shiny allure that the world offers. For some, well, let me, let me back up. Ephesians 4.13 tells us that we are to strive to grow in knowledge so that we know how to become a perfect man, complete in Christ. We preach Christ alone, warning every man and and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ. We have that verse on the outside of the wall there reminding us that's our mission. And, And by the way, you and I can't make anybody complete or perfect. That's Christ's work. And He does it through His Word. See, the only way to accomplish the goal of full knowledge and being complete in Christ is knowing God in His Word. For some of you, it, you need to pick up a Bible and read on your own. Now, if you need help with how to do that, my, my honest suggestion is the, to choose a Pauline epistle, starting in, in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, one of those four, and read a chapter a day and focus on two or three verses that you can apply. I would much rather you get something out of a a smaller portion that you can think through and chew on than reading six or seven chapters a day. For others, you may be at the point where you need to learn a little bit more. Get a good study Bible and look at the notes. See see what others are are telling you about what words mean and what what are some contextual and, and, and cultural issues for you to understand. And I am certain there are some of you here who could easily take a class on proper hermeneutics and understand how to study the scripture and and that method of the historical grammatical method to study the Bible in order to teach. Maybe not teach here at the church yet, but certainly to teach yourself and teach your family. If you want to be rich towards God, you must know Him more. You must put in the effort... See, the reality is, 
If I think that I can go home and just be around my wife and never speak with her or listen to her, I'm not going to have a good relationship with her. The reality is, I must pursue her and chase her down as she chases the kids. That's a very real situation in our home. See, if I just sit around and wait for her to come to me, she'll, she'll eventually get there. But I am to pursue her. Yes, God will pursue us, but we also must pursue God. And God makes it very clear in His Word that we as Christians are to love God with all of our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength. What does that mean? We pursue God with everything we have. So we cannot sit and wait for God to show up. Pursue Him. Find Him in His Word and grow. See, the more God blesses, the richer you are. Now, now follow this. The richer you are, the more trials God brings your way. The more trials He brings your way, the more He reveals that you must grow. The more He pulls off, the more you become like Jesus Christ. The richer you are, the more blessed, the more trials. See, we want to think that, well, the more I become like Christ, the easier life gets. No. Christ lived a perfect life, and his life was anything but easy. Rich and full and abundant and pure, yes. Easy, no. Rest is coming. Not today. Let us put to death the covetousness that is in our hearts. Let us grow in grace and become rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we close our service, that we would sincerely pursue you. It has been my prayer this week that we at Calvary Bible Church would be rich toward God. There are so many competing desires in this world. There are competing desires in my own heart. I don't have to go out and look for them. They are in me. And so, Lord, I ask that you would, first of all, that everyone here would know where they stand with you. Child or rebel. One who has been made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ, through, their, through faith in Him, or one who continues to live according to their own ways, thinking they can do it better than Christ. Let us see that as arrogance and foolishness. Father, secondly, may we, may we pull out the sword of the Spirit and go after the sin of covetousness. The sin of covetousness is, is not uh, a... a, a a lazy sin. It is active and it seeks to pursue us and to, to own us and, and to de- devour our hearts. May we know your word. May our, our hearts and our minds be renewed by your word. And we take the sword of the Spirit and do war with that sin. And finally, Lord, I, I pray that we would know you more as we search the word, that we would grow into the knowledge of Jesus Christ to be a complete man. So, Father, we know that it takes time. We know that we have much work to do. We have far to go. And it seems that the farther you bring us, the more we realize, the further we go. 
And yet, while we have not yet attained, may we be faithful. And may we know you. And may we be rich toward God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.